0: Sirius XM presents Stanford Pathfinders. Stanford has 225,000 alumni living all over the globe in 151 countries, and they're some of the most amazing people you would ever want to meet. A show about how the graduates of Stanford University are changing our lives and the world. We'll hear very interesting things from business leaders in the technology sector, but well beyond that. The worlds of politics, entertainment, business, and beyond. Inspiring stories from America's innovation heartland. It's a place where people look to the future, not to the past, where they don't rest on their laurels. Think about the gold rush. Think about Stanford being formed in the late 1800s. And then Stanford was the beginning of Silicon Valley and the ethos of Silicon Valley is deeply embedded in the Stanford spirit. It's a spirit of innovation, experimentation. It's a spirit of being willing to try new things and
1: risk failure as long as you fail forward.
0: Welcome to Stanford Pathfinders.
1: Emmy Award winning documentary filmmaker. Well, I think I've always just been interested in big issues that are impacting humanity. Director of The Social Dilemma. In the conclusion that I've come to and what we try to share in the film is at the core, the biggest of the countless different problems we're talking about, I think the business model itself is the thing that is most misaligned with society. This week on Stanford Pathfinders, Jeff Orlowski. Now, here's your host, Howard Wolf.
0: Social media has taken over the world. I know that statement might sound a bit hyperbolic, but it's really not. It's true, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, and other social offerings are ubiquitous and powerful. They help us connect. They are tools that hundreds of millions of people around the world use on a regular basis, but they have a deep, deep downside. They aren't simply idle tools waiting for us to use them. They are, in many ways, addictive tools that shape our behavior. These social media sites employ powerful, persuasive technologies that change behavior. And many believe that these applications are eroding the social fabric of how society works, and they leave us with less and less control over who we are and what we believe. Today's guest on Stanford Pathfinders is an Emmy award-winning documentary filmmaker whose focus is on socially relevant filmmaking. And his latest work is focused on technology and social media. Jeff Orlowski is a proud graduate of Stanford, having earned his BA in anthropology in 2007. He has spent the past 13 years making films about climate change and industries that challenge our climate. His latest work, however, takes on a different topic, the rise of social media and the evils it has spawned. The Social Dilemma is a must-see film for anyone worried about the growing power and influence of social media. Put away that phone and listen. Jeff, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much, Howard.
0: So I always like to start the Pathfinder shows with a bit about the Stanford journey. So where were you living when you applied to Stanford? What made you decide that Stanford was the right place for you? And um, what's your favorite memory from your days at
1: Stanford? Oh, my goodness. Uh, uh, Born and raised on Staten Island in New York, and um, I went to Stuyvesant High School. Uh, I was out there. My senior year of high school was when 9-11 happened. So my high school was four blocks away from the towers. But um, I remember... Uh, visiting colleges. My parents took me to a whole bunch of different places and literally I remember asking all the different schools. So do you guys have wireless internet? This is like, you know, 2000, yeah, probably 2000 or 2001 when I was starting to visit and everywhere that I went, that was the question that was like, it was like this test of who's cutting edge and who's on the front line. And Stanford was by far above and beyond every other school in that era that had wireless internet in um, in a bunch of the libraries and a bunch of the classrooms. And they were like, and it's going to come to the, to the dorm rooms as well. And I was like, that's, Amazing. That's awesome. Um, okay. So
0: I've heard a lot of reasons for choosing a college. I'm not sure that the nature of wireless this, has really been on the top was, of any list.
1: This was an indicator for, first of all, I mean, I just fell in love with the school, just walking around campus. I fell in love with the school, fell in love with the people that I met, but um, uh, this, this was a, an indicator for me that I'm not real. I'm, I'm just remembering this now many years later. It was like, Oh, they're on top of stuff. Like this school is cutting edge. They're on the front lines because nobody else is adopting wireless yet. Um, And it it was slow to get into different schools. And this was an indicator for me that Stanford's like ahead of the curve. And that was a factor. I bring it up just because it was, um, I ended up while at Stanford, I I got a job as an Apple campus rep. So um, a couple of other friends, um, some of whom who are in uh, the social dilemma as well, like Tristan Harris and Jeff Seibert, both of whom who were friends from Stanford and uh, uh, are in the movie, um, they had the same job as well. We, we were selling Apple computers on campus. I mean, it was like the birth of these really powerful laptops at the time. And the idea that you can have your own MacBook or MacBook Pro and do all this creative work and you can use Photoshop and you can do these things on your computer and you can take it with you anywhere. It was it was the coolest job I ever could have imagined.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I love that. All right. So you were at Stanford, um, in the early aughts from two thousand two to two thousand seven. Yeah. And I, I was there as well as, a, as, a, as an administrator. Those were exciting days at Stanford yeah. with technology, a huge, huge focus of attention for students. Yeah. So yeah. how did all of that influence your Stanford experience? Did you get caught up in the yeah. whole tech thing?
1: I, I did. Um, I was really excited about that. I mean, as i as hinted at and indicated now, I, I mean, I love technology. I've always loved technology. And the, um, at the time, some friends and I were working on web design companies and building early flash websites. Um, We made a little business out of that, building uh, websites for photographers that I had known. I was pursuing photography uh, and film and art down one path, and then friends of mine were working in tech, and I was kind of approaching that from a business side as well and trying to help build these companies out. Um, Some of those friends went on to create other tech companies. Um, uh, It was towards the later years is when the iOS um, app store opened up. And then that was just like a huge birth in opportunity and technology um, in terms of making your own your own uh, applications that could live on the iPhone. So. It was something that just always, I, I loved, uh, I was excited by, I really tried to take as many classes as I could at Stanford. I actually, um, I lived in four class dorms, um, my first couple of years. And I asked the upperclassmen, what were the best classes that they took at Stanford? Smart man. And I built an entire spreadsheet, around, (laughs) I reviewed every page in the course bulletin and every recommendation from an upperclassman and I maximized a spreadsheet for the classes that I wanted to take and that reverse engineered me into an anthropology major that was a flexible major that still had classes I had interest in, but I could really take as many different classes as I I possibly could with with the subjects I was interested in.
0: Oh, I love that story. All right, so we're gonna talk about the social dilemma in a second, but first I wanna talk about your career before yeah. that film. So, Yeah. Chasing Ice, Chasing Coral are yeah. documentary films you made that take on well, they take on the fossil fuel industry and they also yeah. sort of promote sort of a discussion of climate change.
1: Right, right. Um
0: how did you end up focusing on that industry and then what yeah. made you change um right. most recently?
1: Well, I think I've always just been interested in big issues that are impacting humanity and i was given access to a story about climate change um uh given access i don't know if that's the right way to say it but i i I met a photographer through a friend this photographer james balog who was doing a big project documenting glaciers and he had this whole concept this was during my senior year in 2007 i'd taken a year off i was class of 06 i took a year off and studied chinese in taiwan lived with family in taiwan um and then came back and, and was class of 07 and it was during spring break of my senior year that I had an opportunity to go to Iceland on a photo expedition with the National Geographic Photographer. Oh, how cool and it was that? like the coolest friggin' I, yeah. I remember reaching out to the Stanford um alpine group. I've never done any alpine climbing. I'd done rock climbing. I took the Stanford rock climbing class and like I loved rock climbing. And, um, but I'd never done anything on ice. And so I borrowed from some random uh, grad students at Stanford, ice axes and crampons and gear. Um, there's actually a really, really brief moment in chasing ice or I'm wearing ice climbing gear in a hallway in twain. And there's just like this very brief passing moment. And, um, and that's how things got started. And then, uh, uh, there was an opportunity to go with that same photographer to Greenland when he was installing cameras in Greenland. And that was like the two weeks right before my graduation that year. So I left during the last couple of weeks of school and uh, I had already, I had a, you know, a senior quarter. So I had done, uh, I, was Don't done worry, I won't classes. tell anyone Don't worry. exactly. I was like, wait a second, I'm going on the record on this. All my classes were done. was on the, on a path for graduation, went out to Greenland. Um, and I almost missed my flight back to get back to Stanford in time for graduation. Like it was, there was a scheduling mishap and it was like a, they only had flights once a week and I almost was on the wrong flight to get back in time for graduation. Um, But it it all worked out in the end.
0: All right. So let's talk a little bit about the social dilemma. So for those who have not yet seen it and everyone should see this film, help us understand what the film's about, how it came to be, and why you found it such an important topic yep. to address.
1: Yeah. You, you made a
0: statement with this film. Uh,
1: I, I think we did, yeah. Um, I, going back to Chasing Ice and Chasing Coral, I, I think I've always just been interested in these big issues. And those were ways, those two films were opportunities that we had to explore the consequences of climate change on our planet, to see and to visualize what was happening to society as a result of this extractive business model known as the fossil fuel industry. In 2017, um, Tristan Harris posted on Facebook an interview that he did with Anderson Cooper uh, for 60 Minutes. And I saw this post and it was like, wait a second, this friend from Stanford who worked at Google is on 60 Minutes talking about how they're designing manipulative technology that can overwhelm and overpower the human users. I had, I had so many friends who worked at Facebook, Google, Twitter, all these companies, Instagram, and I'd never really heard a critique about harms coming out of the companies. So, I reached out to Tristan um, and we caught up in San Francisco and started hanging out. And I started listening to him talk to other people and was realizing what was going on. And one of the first things I did was reach out to other friends who worked in the tech industry. And I was like, wait a second. This is what I heard Tristan say. What do you think about this? Is there Stanford old Stanford friends
0: of yours? Stanford
1: alumni who worked. um, uh, Honestly, the very first person I went to was um, Jeff Seibert, who's in the film. Um, and Jeff is somebody that I've known for a very, very long time. And, uh, he's a person who I met Tristan through in passing, uh, while, while in undergrad. And so I went to Jeff and I was like, this is what I heard Tristan say. Like, is there something to this? And Jeff's response was, you know, I was reluctant at first. I didn't get it at first. I, you know, the first time I heard him talking about this, but I started thinking about it more and it started to click and make sense for me. And he had come to a very, very similar conclusion. And I was like, okay, there's two people that I respect who worked within the industry who have gone through this this process of questioning their beliefs and questioning their stance. And they, they came to a different conclusion around what this technology was actually doing. And that's kind of what, what sparked everything um, and, and led down this, this path. There's a, Tristan references Um, our tech crisis as a climate change of culture. And when I heard that, it was also like, okay, well, you know, you knew how to speak to my heart Um, uh, because this is another massive societal scale um, tectonic level shifts that we're seeing happening invisibly. You know, we can't see carbon going into the atmosphere and we can't see what the code is doing to each and every brain on the planet and how it is invisibly reshaping our society right underneath our noses. And it just became such a compelling concept to organize a film around. I remember talking to some of our team members who we've been doing climate films, and I shared with my producer, Larissa, that I was, you know what, I'm curious, I want to do this film, I want to explore this thing about social media. And and her immediate response was like, what are you talking about? Climate change is destroying the planet, why do you want to talk about social media? And it was this process of both learning and then sharing with her and, and speaking to more and more people that revealed to us just exactly what was going on.
0: So if you go to the website for the film, um, the site says that social media distracts, divides, polarizes, manipulates, controls, and monetizes us. I mean, just think about that, distracts, divides, polarizes, manipulates, controls, and monetizes. Is the technology the problem in your mind? Or is it the people who use the technology the problem? At the end of the day, aren't Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat simply tools?
1: No. <laughs> well, that was a definitive answer. <laughs> I like that. But one of the problems is how algorithmic amplification is um, inconsistent in what it optimizes for.
0: Okay, hold on a second. What is algorithmic
1: yeah, um, amplification. Um, amplification? So the whole premise of, I mean, there was, there was a huge, huge shift when Facebook took their news feed Um, when Facebook invented the newsfeed, really when it switched from chronological order to a customized order, um, where an algorithm was choosing what order to show things, um, to you with, that is something that Facebook, adopt, Facebook kind of shifted. It's been adopted in all these different places. It's not just a straight chronology of the content that we're seeing. Different things are being elevated in, in different ways. So first of all, let me just take a... There are many, many aspects to this problem that we're, we're talking about. Um, in the conclusion that I've come to and what we try to share in the film is at the core, the biggest of the countless different problems we're talking about, I think the business model itself is the thing that is most misaligned with society. That they have um, sort of unintentionally backwards, you know, they've walked themselves backwards into this business model, where because they're based on advertising, and because they have developed um, micro-targeting, surveillance-driven advertising, they have this entire infrastructure that is just dedicated to collecting as much information about you as possible, to learn as much about you as possible, to target um, particular type of content to you and what they have learned and what they've seen is how incredibly effective they can be at both commanding your time and attention and to place quote unquote relevant ads in front of you but that system that was designed with altruistic purposes can also be used to incredible like consequences as well and i think this is i'm trying to just take a step back and offer the the 30,000 foot perspective because These are not just neutral platforms uh, and neutral tools that allow us to do what we want to do in life. Um, They have their own goals and intentions. They have their own ways and means and ability to get users to do particular things. And it's this asymmetric power that they hold over us that the public, in my mind, is not really aware of. Um, Just how many data points that they have on us is overwhelming. In essence,
0: the business model is addiction
1: they hate saying that. And I normally don't use that language, but um, what is true is our time is their money. They, they try to say that we're not the product. Right. And there's this mindset. Um, there's this quote that many have used. If you're not paying for the product, you are the product. Like we are the thing that is being marketed to advertisers and other manipulators. It's because of us, because of how, um, how engaged we are because of how often and how much we use these platforms. That's the thing that they're selling a value. So, and not only are we the thing being sold, but they have figured out more and more effective and persuasive means to get us to spend more time and to steer us in particular directions to better sell us.
0: So there was a great moment yeah. in the film where you talked about what happens if a person living in one state puts in the term, what is climate change? Right. And a person in another state puts in the same question, what is climate change? Yeah. Yeah. And one state might say, climate change is a hoax. Yeah. climate change is uh, you know artificial and the other one might say climate change is an ex- ex- existential ex- threat right. to humanity Absolutely. and Absolutely. that's based on where you live and what you've
1: actually and right.
0: how you've interacted right. with that with that site that right. was fascinating
1: right. that that blew me away that was actually one of the last things that I did on social media when I learned that this was the case that if we all typed into Google Um, that our search results and our search, uh, the autofill suggestions would be different based on who you are, what they know about you, where you live, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so I asked a bunch of friends on social media, Hey, could you do this search and take a screenshot? And share with me what your answers are based on your your search results. So the data that we have in the film, the, the actual um, fill in the blank answers from this Google search came from that singular crowdsourced moment of people from all around the world saying, you know, where I live, it says climate change is real or it's a hoax or it's fill in the blank gamut. I mean, it was all over the place. Um, I think it was somewhere in Europe where climate change is a wicked problem. That was like one of my favorite answers. Um, These search algorithms and our newsfeed algorithms are not based on truth. They're not optimized towards truth. They're not optimized towards civil discourse. They are optimized around these different rubrics that, I mean, it's, it's hard to, really think that is optimized for anything other than our our time and engagement. The engagement word is really what they all lean on, that it's the most relevant to you. We want to find engaging content for you. Um, But we're seeing all these different uh, flaws in the system and what this leads to.
0: I'm Howard Wolf. More with Emmy Award-winning documentary filmmaker Jeff Orlowski, director of The Social Dilemma in a moment. This is Stanford Pathfinders. I'm Howard Wolf, and I'm speaking with Jeff Orlowski, Emmy Award-winning documentary filmmaker and director of The Social Dilemma. So there's a term that um, got bandied about in your film, actually by Shoshana Zuboff, yes. who I'll have you know was my organizational behavior professor in business school. What? Um,
1: awesome. Yes. yes. It was great
0: to see her on film. Surveillance capitalism. I've yes. not heard that term before. I know she's yeah. written a
1: book about it. I'm embarrassed I haven't right. read it. What is it? I think the best way to frame surveillance capitalism is an analogy that Shoshana uses where she compares surveillance capitalism to industrial capitalism, industrial capitalism figured out ways to take nature and to turn it into a raw resource for extraction. Surveillance capitalism has figured out ways to take human nature and to turn human nature into raw resources for extraction. We, through our interactions with our devices, our phones, we leave these digital breadcrumbs, these, these footprints, all of these things that we do, all of the places that we go, the physical places that we go, or the digital places that we go, and all of this can be turned into data that is being collected by all of the big companies um, in a sort of a race to collect as much data about us as possible. And they use that data to build a model of us. And this is what we try to anthropomorphize in the movie and bring to life this digital model of each and every one of us that is using these platforms. So to be clear, like Google has a model of you and Facebook has a model of you and Twitter has a model of you and all they're each collecting data points about you to build a model that best represents Howard as best as possible. And the, the ability to compete with each other for your time, like if you've got a 10-minute break between Zoom calls, which platform are you going to go to? Who's going to get your eyeballs? Who's going to get your attention? Who's going to be able to profit from showing you three advertisements in this little window of time? And the model is being used to create better and better and better predictions about each and every one of us. There's another uh, mathematician that we interviewed, Kathy O'Neill. She says that algorithms don't predict the future, they cause the future. And this is one of the things that is really scary in many ways. You know, these prediction technologies are, in many ways, they collect a lot of data and they make a prediction based on that historical data. And so what ends up happening is you get these reinforcements that get created into these systems, because if I know a whole bunch about you, the, the algorithm will know what you believe in or what you think or what you're more likely right. to engage with compared to other things. One of the things that Tristan talks about, like imagine you had two different feeds that were next to each other. One is the Walter Cronkite rational, slow, in-depth, nuanced feed. And the other feed is uh, more clickbaity, extreme language, um, very emotional language, anger, outrage, etc. Which one's going to work better for you? Like the algorithm, if it's designed towards engagement, it'll push towards that ladder. It pushes towards the stuff that will keep you coming back. I mean, I think we've all experienced those moments where you go to YouTube and you go watch one video and then four hours go by and you're like, what the hell just happened? How am I, <laughs> how am I still on here, right? That algorithm was just able to like outsmart you in that instance. Um, and it's that same concept, that same type of algorithm that's happening on your Facebook feed or your Twitter feed or your Instagram feed or your YouTube feed.
0: So let me ask a personal question then going into the making of the um, mm-hmm. social dilemma on a scale of one to 10, how much of a power user were you of oh. social media? <laughs> and by the time you were done making this film, where were you?
1: Um, like 9.7 out of a 10 or something like oh, that. So I don't know, like I was really, I was a very, very heavy user. Um, especially during the 2016 election. Um, especially I also recognize, I, I don't think I've said this on, uh, on record before, like w- when I was single, I was also a much heavier user. Like I found like if I had a partner in my life, that was something where I didn't feel a need to look for some connection through these platforms. Um, but, uh, especially during the election, I mean, Facebook figured me out. And I was, I mean, all the free moments, I was, you know, searching for more and more information. Somebody who we for, interviewed for the film, Adam Gazelli, who talks about a cognition crisis that we're in, but he talks about information from an evolutionary perspective, that information is in many ways a survival skill. It's like, hey, Howard, I know that over there, there's a tree, the fig tree is blooming and it's time to go eat them because if we don't get there, there won't be food left for us to eat. And the ability for me to share with you that insightful piece of information both gives me status and helps survivability. But the problem is that there are times he he makes a comparison to food, just like there are times when you ingest food, you need to have times to digest food as well. Yet it's hard for our brain to make that switch. Like we are happy just ingesting information all the time. Uh, somebody once said to me recently, they use the word um, in info uh, infobesity or it was something along those lines. Like we are <laughs> gluttons of information now. Uh, but there's I a just, surplus of information and
0: a dearth of knowledge, right? Yes there's, yes. there's no filter. There's no understanding where the knowledge really comes from the information.
1: Well, this is how in many ways these systems have been designed for um, as opposed to journalists that have built-in filters into the system where editors and news teams will review and assess, is this accurate? Is this worth sharing? Is this worth publishing? And deep reporting goes in. Um, as opposed to that path, the system of social media and, and the way the internet structured really is like everybody give us everything and we'll figure out a way to make money off of it. Right? It's just like quantity rules a system. And we let everything in and then only if something's really egregious afterwards will we like regulate it and come down and we will pay people to try to moderate. But the, the whole system is designed in a way that it just can't keep up with the influx of information. It also can't handle bad actors well, like people who are intentionally trying to manipulate the system, um, because that stuff just sort of permeates through.
0: So if you were a nine point seven when you started,
1: yes, what are you today? Now I'm at like zero point one. No, I've completely stopped using these platforms. I was, I was such a heavy user and I was trying to wean myself off while working on the film and learning of what was going on. And then I became the victim of the um, the resurrection algorithm. And I, I only learned about this while working on the film. They actually, if, you, if you're a user and you stop using, they consider you dead to them and they try to resurrect you. And they will start fishing after you. And they will, for me, it was a whole series of emails with all of these. So-and-so tag you in a photo. So-and-so made a post. So-and-so like people in my family network and my friend network and my professional work network. This was not an engineer sitting there trying to like outsmart me. This was just the algorithm trying to get me to come back because I was useless to them. If I didn't use the platform, um, the emails didn't work. And then I started getting text messages. I actually installed these plugins. There's a new Feed eradicator. And that's been a super valuable tool. If I need to send a message to somebody, I can still access them, but there's no no feed for me to engage with.
0: What would two or three things you would suggest that the world do to change the negative impact that social media has on our lives.
1: I think the companies need to get off this business model. That's the first and foremost. They need to make a commitment and reinvent themselves around a business model that is more aligned with humanity. The fossil fuel industry discovered something that was uh, an incredible resource that can make a lot of money and only years later did they see the consequences. That's what I think our social media platforms have done. We need to design technology that works for people, for humanity. Imagine you use social media and it made you feel better after you finish using it.
0: As my mother used to say, from your mouth to you know whose ears. Um, Jeff, thank you so much for being on the show. It was fantastic. So much, and Howard. I recommend this film to everyone, The Social Dilemma. Thank you for listening to Stanford Pathfinders on SiriusXM. Listen to this and other episodes anytime on demand, the SiriusXM app, or wherever you like to find your podcasts.